Proverbs 16 is where we are. We made it down through verse 16 the last time we were in Proverbs, which is two Sundays ago. And today we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Um, and I didn't finish first chap, uh, first service, so we're going to get moving swiftly here. Verse 17 and through 19 is the first section we'll take today. Um, and that section is good. The theme kind of there is that humil- humility is a vital part of the life of the saints. Humility is key for the individual disciple of Jesus. Humility is key um, for us as a whole. Humility is key for leadership for all of us. Amen. And so let's read. It says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And so, Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as we approach um, this text that you've put before us, Lord God, I pray that you would open it to us, that you would take away from our hearts and our minds the cares of this life, the burdens of this world, uh, Lord, that you would remove the distractions from this room. Let, Lord, you would supernaturally in some way subdue everything and anything, pushing the enemy back. Uh, Lord, set a, a secure a boundary way back for him that he can't fire his darts at us. He can't distract us, Lord God. I pray that you would subdue this room. And that, Lord, in doing so, you would uh, cause our hearts and our minds to be fully surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want to look over there because I would hate to be that person. (laughs) I I, I feel for you. I won't look. I feel for you. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But thank God it happened to them so that you can now. (laughs) No, get get your stuff out. I'm going to make sure the volume on this thing is down. It's, it's so come on now, get your stuff, seriously. Because <laughs> if it happens to you, the safety team or the ushers or somebody is going to come tap you. <laughs> I think we're going to get in the new building, we're going to get lockers, you know. Like, how many of y'all went to government school? How many of y'all went to government school? That's, that's public school, y'all. Really? The rest of y'all were homeschooled? <laughs> how many of y'all went to public school? Okay, yeah. So you remember the lockers a lot. Everybody had a locker, one on the top, one on the bottom. Yeah. So we're going to put that in a new building so you can lock up all your devices <laughs> before you come into sanctuary. In that way, I think I will. You know, what, what, what I really want to do is like a barrel of acid. <laughs> but they cost too much money, so we'll do a locker. Yeah. No, because really, because sometimes we need to talk about stuff that we don't, we don't need uh, Apple hearing. And they listen to us too. So, all right. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 17. Notice it starts off, I, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. And in this first verse, what we begin to see is that uh, the righteous, notice it says the upright, the righteous learn to take the quickest route is what I'm going to say. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. But again, what is, what is, the, what is the upright? Well, it could also be translated righteous. 
So the highway of the righteous. And remember what, we've, what we know biblically is the upright or the justified or the righteous um, is someone that is deemed righteous by God because they came to him by faith in his promised plan of redemption. So it's the same whether it's New Testament or it is Old Testament. Okay, so in the New Testament, we, we know that we receive righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ and that's it. There's no other way to receive righteousness. How many of you agree? Okay, but it's the same thing in the Old Testament. You might say, well, how did they, how, how do you know? They didn't know Christ in the Old Testament. Well, remember the Bible says that the gospel was preached to Abraham in Galatians. And how was it preached to him? In that when God said to Abraham that through your seed, all the earth will be blessed. Abraham understood that what God was saying is that there would be one that would come through him that would, would be a part of this redemption that would, would do this thing that was lost because the Bible says in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. So Abraham would have understood that he's speaking of the promise that was made by God to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman, which is not biologically possible, so that's alluding to a virgin birth. There would be one that would supernaturally come through a virgin birth, and he would be the one that would deal with the fallen condition of man because Satan would bruise his heel, but he would bruise Satan's head, and he would crush his head and deal with it once and for all. So we understand that. So Abraham understood to a degree, what God was planning to do. And then the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so then the Old Testament saints in believing and following the hope of the promise of what God would do were deemed righteous even though they didn't fully understand Christ. But the pictures were there that the blood of the lamb and all of this stuff was all the way through the Old Testament. So the point then is that the righteous are those who have come to God humbly based upon his own promise of redemption and his plan and not their own. And that is key because what we find in understanding that is that no one can be righteous in and of themselves because all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so therefore we cannot earn this status of being upright, justified, righteous, we can't qualify for it, we can't work for it. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to obtain it ourselves other than to place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so that's always so important for us to know there's nothing else that can be done. It's only through Christ. And so when we think about it like this, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, we go back to the verse, we can look at it with the right set of lenses now where it says the highway of the upright or the righteous or those who have come to God through Jesus Christ. The highway of that person, he says, is to depart from evil. And so if you are righteous or, you know, the Bible also calls us saints. I like to use that. We can, go, we can keep it short and just say saints. We're saints. Because, meaning holy because God has deemed us so because of the blood of his son. So then for you, disciple, your highway is to depart from evil. Now, look, Old Testament here, highway means exactly what we think of it as today. It's the same thing. In fact, we see it used in Numbers chapter 20 when Israel was passing through uh, trying to get to the promised land. They were journeying in a direction to the place that God had promised for them. 
And then along the way, they had to go through various territories. One of the territories they had to go through was the land of Edom. And so Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. And he said to him, look, you know, we, we need to pass through your land. God has given us a land. We need to pass through. And Moses said, we will go by the, by the highway. And if, if, if my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. He says, look, we just want to pass through on the highway, which means to lift it up, the beaten path, um, uh, the, the quickest route, if you will. And so it's used the same way here, speaking of the fact that they weren't looking for trouble. They just wanted to get through the highway. I mean, you know what it's like when you take the highway, you're trying to avoid some things. You're trying to get there quickly, effectively, and efficiently. And so you take the highway as opposed to going through town. Y'all know if you try to come through Clayton on Business 70, anywhere between 4.30 and 6.30, you ain't moving fast. So you want to take 40 or, or business uh, or the bypass 70, hopefully the 540 will be here at some point, some other way that will allow you to pass through and get to where you need to go. And that's what he's kind of referring to. So they're saying, we're not going to come into town, use or take any of your things. We're not going to allow our flocks to, to eat up your fields or drink up your, your water. We will bypass on the outskirts using the highway instead. And this use gives us an idea of what is being implied here by Solomon, by the Holy Spirit, that the highway represents the most efficient or effective way to travel. Listen, reducing the chance of getting tangled with the local traffic or dangers. And any, in other words, we're going to pass by and mind our own business kind of thing. And I like that. I'm a country boy. I like taking the scenic routes because I, I rather look at trees and fields and, and cows and stuff like that. Ain't nothing on the highway but cars going back and forth. And, and you know, but when I need to get somewhere, I'll, I'll take the highway. And so... This is what he's referring to. And see, as believers, we have to learn, we are learning that there are times when we have to take, if you will, the more direct route to avoid things that could otherwise trip us up in this life. And, and there's a picture here, even with the children of Israel passing through trying to get to the promised land, there's a picture here of what the Lord uh, kind of puts before us in this walk of faith, this life of faith that he has given us. In fact, we know in Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 through 10 says, speaking of Abraham, that by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign or as in a foreign country. I think it's on the screen, y'all. Um, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of that same promise for he waited for the city which has foundations notice whose builder and maker is God Abraham was looking for something other than what he was finding therefore he dwelt in tents because he wanted to be mobile because he was trying to get somewhere Abraham was a very wealthy man he could have built the city if he wanted to he could have dwelt if you will in very luxurious living but Abraham was limiting his uh attachment to the things of this world because he was longing for something else it goes on in the same chapter of Hebrews verses 13 through 16 it says these all died in faith having received having not received the promise but having seen them afar off were assured of them they embraced them and confessed 
that they were strangers, notice, and pilgrims on the earth. And these are the languages that's used to describe our faith, our walk, our life. For those who say such things, notice, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, because Abraham, he had come out of a homeland where he was thriving. He could have longed to go back there. Reminds me of the scripture that says anyone having put their hands to the plowing, looking back is not worthy of the kingdom. So we can't look back. It says they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, and this is the special part of it. Check it out. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And I love that. And it's the same city that belongs to us because the New Testament tells us that we are citizens of a different city where we're waiting for our king to come who's going to bring us there to be with him, who's going to transform our lowly body to be fashioned like his glorious body. So then... Then here's the picture. The picture is that we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are moving through. And so, therefore, we have to have a light touch on the world that we live in to some degree. And as believers, as the verse says here in Proverbs, we have to begin to find ways, if you will, to depart from, to avoid those things which would be considered to be evil. And the next part of the verse solidifies it says he who keeps his way preserves his soul keeps means to guard his way preserves his soul so the verse is implying listen that there's a responsibility um there's a there's a um tactical way in which we operate as soldiers in this war that we're in and it's that we can't get entangled and we have to be careful Paul told Timothy that a good soldier does not get entangled with the affairs of this life that life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier y'all know what I'm talking about and it's crazy and I was first service there was a bunch of military men in in the room there are some military men in the room now and I use the analogy of when when guys get ready to go to war as soon as they get those deployment papers 12 months in Iraq. And I remember one lady came to me and her, she wanted prayer. My wife and I were in the lobby with her because her husband um, was potentially going to have to do that. And, and, and the Lord just gave me the understanding at that very moment that, hey, he's a soldier. He just went into a whole different zone in his mind. Because for the next 12 months, he, and, I, and, and she was comforted in this, he wants to get back to you. But in order for that to happen, he has to focus all of his being on surviving for 12 months so he can get back home to his family. So you, you can't, as a civilian, fathom what just clicked in his mind. He's in a whole nother world right now. In order for him to do that, he can't be sluggish. He can't be entangled. He gotta, he's got to be on point so that he can get through that and get back, praying that the Lord keeps him every day. And all the soldiers here who were in Iraq or Afghanistan, Desert Storm, all of those places, um, I've heard those stories about going out, relying on the Lord just to be able to get back to base that day. And every day was the same thing. Lord, are you going to bring us back today? Well, look, the thing is, the problem with Christians is we haven't realized, according to the New Testament, that we've been enlisted in a warfare and the enemy wants to flat out destroy us at bare minimum he wants to render us useless by distracting us with the things of the world and so therefore if we're in a warfare we have to act like soldiers and we have to understand that well then if we're pilgrims if we're sojourners then this isn't home 
This is dangerous territory, and we can't even rest until we get home. This is amazing. I was just talking with a 70-something-year-old man who, in his mind, you know, he's, he's good. God can take him any day. He's ready to be with the Lord. You know, older believers, boy, they got this weirdness about them. That's why the Bible calls us peculiar people. An older 75-year-old saint can look you dead in the eye and say, if I die today, I'm good. And mean it with everything in them. And, and all of us know that and, and we believe it. But man, when they get there, it's reality for them. And it teaches the rest of us younger ones what this thing really is. Paul says, I'm caught up in the middle of this thing. I want to be here for you, but I'd rather go be with him. I'm ready to depart. There's a reality to this Christian walk. And this is what the scriptures are trying to teach us. And so the highway of the righteous is to depart from evil. So since Satan wants to destroy your life, he's going to plant, he's going to put you in a minefield. And he's going to surround you with danger. And he's going to try to destroy you. And you have to stay focused. These are some verses I had in my notes that I didn't use first service. I'm just going to read them before I get back on target just because maybe it's for someone in this service. Um, not on the screen, Acts 20, 24, you can write it down here all the time, but none of these things move me, he said. Paul said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, of the grace of God. He said, I ain't moved by nothing. I just want to finish my race with joy. So I'm focused, he said. And then he said in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, when he's talking about striving for the crown, he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So he says, then run in such a way that you may obtain it. So he says, you can't be sluggish and, and running in the back. He's like, no, tighten up and, and run as if Christ has something waiting for you. You catch the language there? Second uh, Timothy 4, 7, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore, since we have uh, been, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so we're all called to this race if you will this journey as a pilgrim and there are many things that the enemy will use to slow us down to get us caught up to render us useless but man we have such a high calling and such a a wonderful celebration laid out before us when we get there so the encouragement today is to stay strong gird up your loins and keep running amen so then this this whole uh first section really being ab about even humility, even in that we have to humble ourselves to do that because we're relying on the Lord in order to do it. We can't even do that in our own strength. Isn't that amazing? I like the fact that I can't do things and accomplish things in my own strength because it causes me to rely on him and, and find that my sufficiency is in him. And so the second verse 18 kind of picks up on it again and notice it says, and this is a verse that all of you probably know and you've repeated it at some point in your, your life, but it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I love this verse, always a verse that we're reminded of. Pride, really, we all know what it means, but within the, uh, the Hebrew word that's used, uh, which is go on, it's uh, he, uh, Strong's uh, H 1347, but it does mean exhortation, exaltation, excuse me, arrogance, pomp, and even swelling. I like that swelling because it gives you a visual. 
What does he mean by swelling? Well, when something is swelling, it's getting puffed up. You know what I'm saying? You can, you can see it. It's all puffed up. What's wrong with that? It's like, you know, you hit your thumb and it's all swollen or your big toe is swollen. It looks, it looks funny. It's deformed. You know, it's all puffed up with something. And so I like that word because a person who is in pride is puffed up with too much of themselves who actually have a wrong estimation of themselves. And they're setting themselves up, the word destruction. There's a, if you read the whole definition, part of it is crash. I like that. Because we see, when you see a wreck, you see somebody was trying to get somewhere and all of a sudden, boom, there's been an accident. That's kind of the implication, like a train wreck. Um, that's what the person's headed towards. You see way more accidents now than we used to because people are on their phones. And so you see them all over the place, these little, these little fender benders because of people doing something they shouldn't be doing while they're driving. Headed for destruction, a crash is coming. Ruin, it also means they're going to go to ruin. And this is something that we need to take note of. This verse that we know, we need to fathom it. Here's the reason why. Because pride is very deceptive because often once we find ourselves having too much of it, we don't even realize it. Now, everybody in this room has pride. We've talked about this before. There's some bit of pride in us. So we know that. So there's, there's, listen, that's a, that's a non-discussion. We all can agree to it. So the point is not do we have pride. The point is are we dealing with it the right way? Wisdom teaches us to monitor and deal with pride swiftly when it is detected because if we don't, it, it, it kind of grows and it becomes invisible to us. We don't even realize it's there. And then before we notice it, we've already created problems. And so we see pride in others very easily, don't we? Yeah, not so much in ourselves. <laughs> so when I see pride in other people, I'm scared. I'm scared because I'm like, Lord, am I, am I like that and don't even realize it? Oh, my God, I don't want that. And then it drives me back to him, which is by design. See, here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he what? I love that. Now, in context, I use that to help people who are struggling with temptation because it goes on to say that there is no temptation among us except that which is common amongst us. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted above what we can handle but always makes a way of escape, right? So we understand that there's always a way to escape when temptation comes. The, but the point is, the, and the reason we often fall in temptation is because we think we got it. So he says, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall because the person who's puffed up with pride actually think that they are stronger and more capable than they really are. And that can happen to any of us at any time. So when we look at this verse, this verse should scare us because pride can be invisible to us. And there's a couple things that can help us detect pride. One is being in fellowship because iron sharpens iron. And if you got some real brothers and sisters in the Lord surrounding you, then they'll tell you. And don't get upset with them when they do because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Praise the Lord. They will tell you. That's one good thing about marriage, man. Your spouse will tell you. You just got to listen, you know. <laughs> um, so that's important. But um, not, only, uh, not only that, there's other ways that, it will, uh, that you can 
begin to detect it. And that's being in the word of God, which we're going to talk about because the word of God is a discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. Remember, it's, a, it's sharper than any two edged sword. So when you're spending time in the word of God, the word of God will prick you and show you yourself uh, because it's like a mirror. You know, James says that when you look into the perfect law of liberty, when you look into the mirror of the word, you see your reflection. And then when you see your reflection, you realize what you really look like and you have a better estimation of yourself. Because sometimes in my brain, I still remember the dude that was relatively, you know, somewhat handsome with no gray hair and whatnot because the picture's on the wall at home all the time. I look at the picture like, man, I remember that dude. Then I look in the mirror and it's like, it's gray and it's all. I was like, man, and, and it's a good estimation of where I'm at, you know. And looking into the word is the same way. You look into the word and the word reflects. It shows you yourself and helps you make adjustments. It's like, man, it hurts. God just showed it to me. God, you're so faithful, though. So we got to be in the word of God because it helps us detect. All right. Now, verse 19, verse 19, it, it continues and it, it gets even clearer for us. Verse 19 says, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Spoil really means plunder, you know, with the proud. I think there's a hint there towards this world system. What do I mean by that? You know, well, to divide the plunder, that, the, the riches of this world, most of the time in order to really gain the riches of this world, and, and no offense, God allows some people to come, become very wealthy because he knows that they, are, they can be very faithful stewards over that wealth and it won't, it won't control them and they'll do the good things with it. But most of the time, you know, success and wealth comes with compromise. It, it, it comes a lot of times with compromise. And something's been compromised. You're, uh, you've compromised your treatment of others. You know, you've compromised your integrity by how you presented whatever you did to sell it, you know. Um, whatever the case may be, you've compromised um, your calling maybe as a whatever you are, whether you're a husband or wife or a parent, you've put more into that pursuit and you neglected the things of God, you, you know, whatever the case may be. So when you begin to think about that, there's hints towards the, the world system. But, but it says here, better to be humble, be of humble spirit with the lowly, by the way, with those who are uh, maybe considered lowly by their station in life or whatever the case may be, their lack of wealth, it's better to be of a humble spirit in that type of setting than to be in the other one. And here's the thing. When we look at this verse and we think about it, when we humble ourselves and, and even consider it not a problem to be with those of our low estate, we are becoming more and more at that point like Jesus, our Lord. Why do I say that? Well, remember, Jesus did that very thing. He came into the world in a very lowly way. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in a poor situation. He was he born in a inn, and they laid him in, and I don't know if y'all, I mean, the, the, we make the Christmas story so cute, and it's so nice, but the reality is he was born and placed in a feeding trough. So Joseph would have cleaned out a feeding trough and put something soft in there to lay him in. And, and he would have had to run the animals out because he's putting the baby where they eat. 
and Mary had to deliver the baby by herself. There was no midwife or there was no, y'all know these things. I mean, it was, it was a very humble situation. That's how Jesus was born. Um, the first people to see him were obviously the shepherds, okay? We know that they didn't have the best reputation in town. So these were the lowly uh, that saw Jesus first. It was two years later before the, the Magi came from Babylon, okay? The wise men, that was two years later. So at his birth, very, very humble. And one of the things I've always loved about that is that Jesus was humble and accessible to the lowly so that all could see him. And I love that. And so in this, and, and by the way, I know if, you, if you're new, if you come from a prosperity teaching where they try to tell you that Jesus was rich and you should be too, well, that's a lie. We don't see it in the text you know, anywhere. Um, now, here's what Paul says of this same quality of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind, y'all know this, it's not on the screen, just listen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, just write it down and read it later. But you know it, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we are to be of the same mind. What mind? Well, he says in verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. No reputation. Isn't that something? How, how could Jesus have no reputation? He's God. Well, for one, he spent, look, before the ministry began, he spent 30 years on earth just being submitted to whatever. He went to the synagogue on Saturday. He was submitted to Mary. He cleaned his room. You know, he, he, he did the chores. He, did, he worked with Joseph. He was a carpenter for 30 years before he started his ministry and no reputation. And he says, uh, taking the form of a bondservant, which in the Greek is a slave, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, it goes on to say he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, it says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love this. So, so Jesus gave us a demonstration in many ways of how we are to be. Remember, we talk about this in a lot of ways. He, he gave us how do you deal with the temptation of Satan by quoting the word and knowing the word of God and meditating on the word of God. So we see that. But also, he humbled himself all the way to the death of the cross. He did what the, what the Father had given him and commanded him to do, even though in his humanity it was a very difficult thing to do um, the night before his uh, his uh, crucifixion he sweat drops of blood which scientists and doctors says is a condition that is not seen very often it's when a man is under such intense pressure that his blood vessels burst and bleed out through his sweat glands and so Jesus in his humanity stayed obedient all the way to the point of the cross but because he walked it out faithfully God has highly exalted him and the truth is, we're going to be highly exalted when we finish this race. Because when we finish this race, we're going to be there with him. Imagine when, you know, the scripture says when Jesus shows up the next time, when the earth will see him, the sky will crack and he will come through light in the midst of darkness. And then here we are riding on horses with him. Ain't that something? Jesus coming back, king of glory. And we get to roll back in with them. That's exaltation if, if I don't know what it is. I'm like, man, I get to ride behind Jesus and watch him destroy Antichrist and folks and throwing them in the lake of fire and just, just, just bringing an end to everything and starting anew. And we get to ride in with him. Man, that's going to be amazing. So for now, we humble ourselves. 
For now, let's get a right estimation of who we are. Lowly in the sense of without him, we are nothing. And without him, we can do nothing. Jesus says, unless you abide in me, we talked about it last Sunday, and I and you, you can do nothing. I need to have the right estimation of who I am and what I'm capable of. And who I am without Christ is not somebody that you would even want to hang out with at this point. Who I am without Christ. And my ability without Christ is limited to nothing but earthly things which don't really matter anyway. Man, but in Christ, eternal things come into play. And this is why he says we should humble ourselves. Verse 19, and better to be humble. You know, pride goes before destruction. And we as the righteous depart from evil as quickly as we can. You know, that verse uh, 17 is huge. I could have told you many stories about times when I ran like Joseph, <laughs> you know, uh, from, from evil. But we don't have time to go into it. All right, verses 20 through 23. Got more time this service. Verses 20 through 23 begin to talk about the continual blessings of the word of God. Let's look at it. Verse 20 says, it says, he who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Love those verses. The wise in heart will be called prudent and sweetness of lips increase learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. But the correction of fools is folly. And so as we look at verse 20, he who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord happy is he. That's a beautiful verse. He who heeds the word wisely finds good. And in that whenever we take heed to the word of God, apply it in our lives, that's what the scripture is talking about. Um, we do find good. The word of God does bring us to a place of being at peace, a, pre, a place of having the joy of the Lord because we have followed him in his word. We have followed the leading of the Holy Spirit according to the word. And because of that, we are being blessed in the things of God. It doesn't necessarily mean as the prosperity people say that you have to be uh, rich all the time, healthy all the time, with no problems all the time. And it doesn't work out for any of them. <laughs> yeah, we know that. That's not necessarily what the word is saying because often we, we understand that God uses trials to grow us. Like our faith is tested through trials, the, the genuineness of our faith through the things that we go through. We know that. Peter talks about that. But as we take heed to the word of God, we find ourselves always in a better place than where we would have been if we would do it our own way. And we know that. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 9, one you should all memorize says that how can a young man cleanse his way? I could say how can a young lady cleanse her way, but the Bible is implying both. Notice it says by taking heed to the word of God. You mean the word of God can cleanse my way? The word of God can, can change what I'm doing? Yeah, remember the Bible says, David says that it's a light into my feet, a lamp into my path. Isn't that amazing? It illuminates the direction in which I'm going in. It, it illuminates the way in which I should go. And it keeps me. Jesus says, you are clean by the word that I have spoken to you. So as we spend time in the word of God, the word of God washes us, rewires our brain and our thinking. It kind of begins to correct things and put things in perspective and help us to, to um, begin to, to fully understand God. Even when we're reading the word and we don't know exactly everything that it's implying. In other words, we may not fully understand it at times. Read the word anyway. And it does something to us. It changes us. I mean, you spend time in the word and you'll begin to look different to people. 
this is all tested out, by the way. I did this in my life, you know. I just began to just thrive in God's word. It was always the word. If the radio was on, it was on the word. I met a brother uh, out in the lobby. He used to listen to uh, Calvary Satellite Network, so we know some of the same stuff. He used to listen to it all day, on the way to work, lunch break, on the way home. In the evening, they had an apologetic show called to every man to answer. I would listen to that, all the questions. I would listen to all the answers. I was just, I just love, I was just devouring the word of God. It changed everything. I saw politics different. I saw the world different. I saw myself different. I did things different because it has that kind of impact in you. When I was listening to R&B and rap, though, it was my, my, I saw things a different way. I did different things. I did what it was telling me to do, you know. <laughs> and so the word of God is amazing. And when you take heed to it, you find good. And then he who trusts in the Lord, happy is he. So to trust in the Lord is that which we've been called to. Proverbs tells us many things about that. It says the fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29, 25. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. I like that one. Don't trust in man. Don't fear man. Trust in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. And so as we trust in the Lord, we find that we are at peace because we, we know that he, our God, has us. Amen? Amen? That brings peace. You can sleep at night when you realize that. When you realize that God has everything in control, you can rest. When you realize that the only way you can die and leave this world is when he's ready for you to. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that something? The Bible says that, that, that he knows the day of our birth. He knows the day of our death. Precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of the saints. So God has it all. David says, all the days of my life, all the days of my life, you have numbered them before I was even formed. It goes like that somehow. I paraphrased it. But in other words, David says, hey, he knew every day before he made me. Every single day. That's how disciples can live and rest in the Lord. You worried about dying? Don't be. You can't until he says so. There's a day he already knows when that's going to happen. You can't die before that. That's why Abraham, remember, was going to sacrifice, was going to take the knife and kill Isaac because God had already said that Isaac is the promised seed by which the whole earth would be blessed through that line. And Isaac, he hadn't had kids yet. So Abraham was convinced, well, wait a minute, God said this. Because here's what Abraham understood. When I was really old and unable of producing children, God made me have children. And he said that he's going to bless the whole earth through this child. And then he told me to kill him. Take him to the mountain that I'm going to show you and sacrifice him there. So Abraham said, well, okay, well, God is going to raise him from the dead. He was that convinced in the promises of the Lord. And so then until God is done with you, you can't even die. That's amazing. <laughs> it's just, those are the kind of thought processes that leads you to freedom. If you're dwelling and meditating on the word of God, these are the, 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 the realities that we come to. So let's try to wrap up here. So verse, where are we at? Verse 23? No, we didn't. I skipped ahead. So verse 21 said, the wise in heart, will be called prudent. Wisdom, as we've been learning as we go through this, uh, wisdom is found in God's word. So the wise in heart of those who are taking heed to God's word, they will be called prudent. 
You know, you, you could think of yourself as not so smart, but you begin to meditate and spend time in the word of God and trusting in, in God and following what the word says. Um, and you become wise through that process. You begin to apply and learn how to apply God's word and you'll be called prudent. I like the word prudent because pr- I always want to be called prudent. Prudent means someone who is true, someone who makes good, wise decisions and things. You know, you know, God can give you way more wisdom than you have on your own. I love that, man. When, if you lack wisdom, God is the one who supplies it. You can be called prudent. How did you make that decision? How did you figure that out? How did you accomplish that, man? The Lord, this is how he has led me. This is what he told me to do. You know, being willing and open to the wise counsel that is coming. You know, prudence. This is beautiful. You know, I'm almost done. There's so much that we, we need to consider and we need to understand as we stay close to the Lord. I don't want to get ahead of first service, uh, but these are things that we need to know, we need to understand. Um, verse uh, 22, understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. But the correction of fools is folly. I love that. You know, understanding implies those who understand the word of God itself. So this is implying to us that God's word becomes, notice a wellspring, understanding of his word becomes a well. Well, what is a wellspring? Um, you can dig a well, which is good, and you can, you can get water from it, and, and, and that's pretty good. But a wellspring is even, even greater because it speaks of a spring that's popping up, a fresh water constantly all the time. Isn't that amazing? And so this life in the word of God is like a, a, a wellspring constantly producing life by which we drink of. Um, you know, and that's what God's word becomes. It becomes a, a place of refreshment from this world that's stale and stagnant and bitter. Yet his word is refreshing and is fresh to us all the time. And so we want to be able to, to do that. And then it says, um, and I'll end here, um, but the correction of fools is folly. In other words, it's foolish to try to, to correct a fool because the fool, um, the fool doesn't want to be corrected, you know. We, um, fool, the word fool is used 78 times in just the book of Proverbs alone. More than any other book in the Bible. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So it identifies very clearly to us what the fool is, you know. Proverbs 12, 15, we know it. It says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise so one of the things we find out about a fool is a fool thinks they know how to do it and they don't want to take counsel from anyone and they'll keep doing it the wrong way because they are too foolish to listen to anybody else you know so that's 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 a fool proverbs 122 tells us that a fool hates knowledge they hate knowledge they don't want to hear from anybody else they don't want anybody to tell them anything proverbs 14 3 says that in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride we talked about pride earlier but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 14, 7 says, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. So, so many things we've learned about avoiding the fool. And one of the things the Bible is saying here in this verse is that the correction of fools is folly within itself. Once you determine you're dealing with a fool, leave them to their foolishness and and pray for them. (laughs) God's trying to save you time and frustration. Isn't that something? Fool won't listen to you. You have to pray. 
the fool will have to get into some rough stuff before they finally come to their senses and listen to the Lord. So these are things. Proverbs is so wonderful to us, but we can't cover all of it today. And it was my folly to think that I could finish chapter 16 today, which was what I was attempting to do. Um, <laughs> it's okay. That was, uh, that was my heart, but we'll pick it up next week and we'll continue to go through it. Amen. Um, for those of you in the school of ministry, I'll see you in a few hours. For the rest of us, it's been good being here with you today. Why don't you bow your head so I can close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in this wonderful place. I pray that you would be with us, Lord God, as we continue through this week. For every household represented here, every family, every single person, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would lead us, Lord, by your spirit into the refreshing waters of your word, that you would give us discernment as we go out into the world to, to work and or go to class or whatever it is that you've called us to do. Um, give wisdom to the stay-at-home mom. Give, give us strength. Give us uh, understanding in all things, Lord God, that we may glorify you in our lives. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for that. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed still, if there's anyone here this morning who you have not come to know the Lord, but he's called you today and you need help with that, you need to know how to get to him. And I want to tell you that there's nothing standing between you and him. He's moved everything out of the way. And if you want to come to him now, if you want to repent of your sin, you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you. I know I'm not holy and righteous. I know if I die today that I will not be with you. But I want to be. And if that's you today, you can raise your hand right now because the Lord will receive you. And he will not turn you away. And you can come to him because if you confess your sins to him, the Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you will be redeemed and called a child of the living God. And he will pour his spirit into your life and change your life. So if that's you, then you can raise your hand now or you can come up to uh, one of the, the, the pastor over to my left standing by the door and uh, the pastor's wife over to the right here by the trees. You can come up and talk with them. And if you need prayer for anything, even healing, come up and talk to them. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, amen. Let's stand and see, uh, sing. You come.